0: Welcome to episode number 50 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm Chris Tripodi of draftanalyst.com, and with me is Tony Pauline, as always, as the pro day circuit continues around the country. But first, Tony, let's give ourselves a quick pat on the back for hitting the 50-episode milestone.
1: Yeah, I mean, it? we started, what, November 50 episodes? Uh, a lot of those were uh, double bills, I guess, during... Uh, Senior Bowl week when we were doing two podcasts a day after each practice and the podcast uh, at the end of the week. Shrine Game did a lot of podcasts. Combine did a lot of podcasts. And if we had known about this, we would have celebrated on Saturday because uh, Chris and myself joined Mark Linquist and Thor Nystrom of Roto World for dinner at a place called what's the name Del Frisco's in Rockefeller Center. We were there for a couple hours. We had a good time sharing stories and uh, laughing. So it was a good time with those guys. And too bad if we knew it was, it was the 50th episode, I would have had them purchase us
0: a beer. We'll make it for the uh, 100th episode to to make it all better here. Obviously, thank you to everybody listening to not only this episode, but the first 50. Glad we can kind of keep this rolling for you, and, and hopefully you continue to like what you hear, and we'll continue pumping out the content for you. Tonight, we'll start with what's left of free agency. Obviously, things have slowed down a little bit since the initial flurry, whether it was the legal tampering period or the first couple of days where players could officially sign their names on the dotted line. Justin Houston... Former Chiefs pass rusher was the biggest name to sign over the past week. He agreed to terms with the Colts for two years and $24 million. Despite this lack of action, there are really still some decent players available out there. Ndamukong Sue is probably the top available talent. There's other guys like Jay Ajayi, Jordy Nelson, Austin Safarian Jenkins, Timmy Jernigan, Mo Claiborne, formerly of the Jets, Eric Berry, who was cut by the Chiefs recently. We've talked a lot about the pass rushers as well in free agency, and Ziggy Ansah is the biggest name available off the edge. Reportedly, teams want more information on his surgically repaired shoulder. That should come after his four-month appointment in mid-April, which kind of explains why it's been a slow market for him. But Tony, overall, why has the market for these other second- and third-year free agents been so slow to develop?
1: You know, since the combine, people have told me the word was the top guys in free agency would be getting paid huge money and would sign big contracts. And we saw exactly that. But since then, and I was told this at the Combine, it's going to be every man for himself as far as the available free agents. And we're seeing that. I mean, look at the guys you named. They're seasoned veterans that would command you know, a sizable contract. Now, sources tell me while they expect a few more free agents to sign between now and the draft, teams are really going to look to plug holes on the depth chart with mid- to late-round picks in the draft, rather than spending big-time money or decent money on second- and third-tier free agents. It's a matter of dollars and cents. And, you know, despite his injuries, you would have thought that a top pass rusher like Ziggy Ansa would have signed already. But a week and a half ago, his agents told me they don't think that Ansa signs before the draft. Rather, a team that doesn't fill in pass rusher need during the draft, they could look in his direction afterwards. So it basically comes down to teams think that there will be more affordable or cheaper, if you like, uh, alternatives in the draft to fill holes rather than sign some of these seasoned veterans.
0: And a lot of what you said really does illustrate the plight of the non-star NFL veteran. Obviously, the top players are going to get paid no matter what. But when teams can find cheap players in the draft to give them, whether it's low-end starter production, high-end backup production, they'd much rather do that than pay five to ten times as much for a veteran to do the same thing. Obviously, many of the top remaining players on the market are defensive players as well, and we've talked often about the possibility that 70 of the first 100 picks or so in April's draft might come on defense, which is only going to further depress the value of those veterans and explains why there are some talented defenders left over. Now, while the free agent market itself is quiet, so is draft news, despite the abundance of pro days happening throughout the country. Tony, what's the process going on right now among NFL teams, and what could kind of explain this lull?
1: Well, you know, scouts as well as the position coaches are still on the pro day circuit, while the head coaches and general managers are at the owners' meetings. There's a few more important pro days left this week, which we're going to get into a little bit later. Then next week, you got the West Coast, you got Washington, you got Washington State, and Stanford. As the pro day schedule comes to an end over the next seven days, War rooms around the league will start to assemble with their scouts, with their coaches, with their general managers, medical staffs, and everyone else, and start to put the draft boards together. I would expect to start hearing some major news on what teams may do during the draft before next week's podcast.
0: Now let's move on to those pro days you mentioned now. Speaking of important workouts, Houston tops the list Thursday as Ed Oliver will run for scouts. What are you expecting from the defensive tackle?
1: A lot of good things. Oliver's probably going to come in around 285 to 287 pounds and expect him to be fast. I'm talking likely in the mid to low 4.7 range in the 40. 4.75 seconds or faster in the 40 is very likely, and I'm told he's going to run some incredibly quick shuttle times.
0: Now, Oliver has been all over the board over the past six months. Before the season, he started at the top of many draft boards, the number one player. Now some pundits have him going late in the first round. What's going on with Oliver, and does the truth, like it always seems to, lie somewhere in the middle?
1: The short answer is yes, and I think it's not what's going on with Oliver. It's what's going on on the outside with prognosticators and people who kind of latch onto the draft late. First of all, I think he was very much overrated over the summer. I never graded him as the top pick of the draft. In fact, if you read my account of him during my scouting piece on Houston, I said he's a first-step lineman. He's more of a three-technique guy. He cannot get off blocks. I never agreed with these comparisons to Aaron Donald because he's fractionally as strong or as powerful as Aaron Donald, who is able to hold the point and basically take on double or triple team blocks. Oliver's a different type of player. He's more athletic. He's more explosive. Like I said, he's a three-technique type of lineman. He has to get the first step on opponents. He's got a great change of direction, and he's able to get out in space and chase down ball carriers like a linebacker would to make the tackle. But he's got to get a little bit stronger. He's got to get a little bit bigger. He's got to add some bolt to his frame. I never thought he was the first pick of the draft. And I really don't think he's someone who's going to go in the bottom third of round one either. I think he's much better than that. I think people are just, basically, they're just going crazy with this spectrum. He's too explosive. He's too athletic. He's too much of a playmaker. He's too versatile as far as a guy that you can put on the inside of a four-man line or even use a defensive end in a three-man front in some one-gap systems. He's too valuable and too explosive to go that late. So I expect him to go somewhere in the middle of round one. I still think. He's going to find his way into the top 14 selections of the draft.
0: Obviously, there was some chatter around Oliver a couple months back about some teams potentially looking at him at linebacker. Obviously, you mentioned those movement skills. He seems really likely now to end up on the defensive line. As you said, he's going to weigh in the 280s, which is a little bit big for a linebacker. But we do have another player we're going to move on to here as Mississippi has its Pro Day Friday and DK Metcalf is a guy who may not have linebacker size, but for a wide receiver, he is certainly large. It's unlikely that either him or A.J. Brown is going to run after they both checked that box emphatically at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. But tight end Dawson Knox, he's ready to go. He didn't run at the Combine due to hernia surgery. He did run the agility drills as well as doing the vertical jump and the bench press. His 7.12 second three cone and 4.27 shuttle times, in addition to that 34 and a half inch vertical jump, those are all good marks for Knox. 16 reps on the bench wasn't great, but also not a disaster for a guy who is projected as more of an athlete than anything. Tony, how fast can we expect Knox to run Friday?
1: Yeah, I'm told that Knox is also going to be very quick, very likely in the low four fives, four five two, four five three. And I think when all is said and done, it will amount to one of the faster 40 times of any tight end in the draft.
0: Now, Knox was never really a big part of the Rebels' offense. The past two seasons, he had 39 receptions for 605 yards. He never caught a touchdown pass in his college career. That hasn't stopped many from rating him as a day two prospect, though, and that includes us, as we have Knox as a third rounder and the number six tight end over at draftanalyst.com. Certainly, production isn't everything. There have been lots of highly productive college players who just aren't NFL talents and lots of players who didn't produce much in college that have gone on to see success in the league. But how can a player with production as minimal as Knox has had be rated so highly and on such a consensus basis?
1: Well, first, you know, the offensive system at Mississippi with their quarterback, you had a guy who was a signal caller who really loved the vertical game and really didn't look Knox's way all that much, especially when you had DK Metcalf, you had the kid there, and you had A.J. Brown. So he liked to throw the ball down the field. And even you had A.J. Brown running underneath routes. So Dawson Knox kind of got lost in the shuffle, which suppressed his his production numbers. Now, why do teams like him? They love his athleticism. They think he's one of these guys that really two or three years down the road is going to be a fantastic starting tight end in the NFL. They love his upside. During the senior bowl, I was sitting with a scout We were talking about him versus Jay Sternberger, and he told me that he would take Dawson Knox before Jay Sternberger because he thinks two or three years down the road with proper coaching, Sternberger is going to be the better tight end. I don't necessarily agree with that, but that is the opinion of a lot of people, which is why, despite the low production you talk about, Dawson Knox is going to go very high in the draft.
0: I think you meant to say Dawson Knox would be the better tight end there, but we'll forgive you for that one, Tony. Sorry, all these names, they get kind of jumbled in my head. That's gonna to happen to everybody. Now we're gonna rewind here. We're gonna look at some of the pro days that happened recently. But first, please support the draft analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com, leave us a rating and a review. And if you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Trapoti, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with the show. Now on to UMass, where receiver Andy Isabella is the obvious headliner for the Minutemen who had their Pro Day last Thursday. Tony, who are some of the teams that showed interest in Isabella?
1: Yeah, if you saw my Pro Day report, I went through a couple of teams that like them a lot. Two teams I left out who a number of people tell me are interested in them are the New England Patriots and the Green Bay Packers. The Patriots make sense in so many ways. I mean, this is their type of receiver. A little bit shorter, a little bit undersized, but incredibly quick. Incredibly creative, fast A guy who can produce when the ball's in his hands Running after the catch As well as line up as a return specialist The Packers also like him as a slot receiver People tell me, yeah, he can play on the flanks But I think the Packers would love him in the slot And to use him as a, uh, as a return specialist as well So when you get into that third round area Look at the New England Patriots and Green Bay Packers To kind of target Andy Isabella Or have him on the list As well as the other players that they really
0: like Yeah, it's truly shocking that the Patriots have interest in Anzi Isabella. I I really just can't believe it. Um, I, I do know that you have another really surprising connection to make regarding Devin Bush from Michigan's Pro Day last week. Didn't make it into our show last week. But, Tony, which team is looking hard at Bush?
1: You know, this should come as a surprise to no one but a Michigan coach right after Pro Day, told me it looked like the Pittsburgh Steelers had 10 coaches and scouts on hand for the Michigan Pro Day, and they were all crowding around Bush the entire workout. Now, while the number of the Steelers personnel people on hand at the Pro Day was probably an exaggeration, his point was not lost on me. And that is all signs point to the Pittsburgh Steelers selecting Devin Bush in the first round if he's available to them. Now, one last-minute note. I was told literally minutes before we started recording this podcast that Kevin Colbert, the general manager of the Pittsburgh Steelers was on hand for the Texas A&M pro day. And I'm told the team likes both Aggie linebackers, Terrell Dotson and Ataro o- Alaka. So I could see if the Steelers lose out on Devin Bush in round one, maybe targeting Terrell Dotson during the second day of
0: the draft. Yeah. The Steelers have never really been able to recover from losing Ryan Shazier. Uh, You know, obviously he had that serious injury and they've kept him around. He's rehabbing, but they haven't been able to replace that speed on defense. And certainly after what Devin Bush did at the combine, he would be a very nice replacement for them and a guy who could hopefully fill those shoes that they need filled so badly after losing Shazier.
1: Same thing with Dodson. I mean, Dodson is a fast pursuit linebacker who's not just a straight line guy. In fact, I think he's probably better laterally sideline to sideline than Devin Bush. I know a lot of people are going to disagree, but I think he's got better range. He's not as explosive. He's not as hard hitting. He's not as stout against the run, but he's a, I think he's a better pursuit linebacker. So again, if they can't get Bush in round one, they look at Dotson in round two, and they may have somebody in either of those guys to replace Ryan Shazier down the road.
0: Speaking of speed, another guy getting a lot of buzz in scouting circles of late is Miko Hardman of Georgia. Obviously, there are several Bulldogs receivers in this year's draft with him, Riley Ridley, and Terry Godwin all being available to be picked here and likely to go in the first four to five rounds. What's the latest you're hearing on Hardman?
1: Yeah, well, you mentioned it speed, and he was the fastest of the three, ran in the four threes at the Combine. A lot of people believe that he can get into the second day of the draft. I'm not of that opinion, but that's what I'm being told. Scouts were really impressed with the way he improved his routes between the Combine and its pro day. A lot of teams started liking him more and more. One thing I found out is no one has worked him out at cornerback, because there was some talk that Hardman with his size, with his speed with sometimes the inconsistent hands he shows, may have to make a move to cornerback. But I've been told in the entire run-up to uh, the draft and the workouts on the pro day, no one has looked at him at cornerback. They're looking at him solely as a wide receiver.
0: Now we've covered the upcoming pro days. We've touched on some that happened last week. Now let's look at a few pro days that took place today. We're recording this on Tuesday, March 26th. The small school guy who we talked about often during the all-star circuit but haven't talked about much lately is James Madison corner Jimmy Moreland. You raved about him at Shrine Practices. We were both impressed once he arrived at the Senior Bowl on the second day of practice. He didn't get a combine invite, which certainly is why we've been a bit quiet on him of late. But he sure was popular at his pro day, wasn't he, Tony? And
1: that's exactly what happens when a guy that's highly rated, that's well-liked, doesn't get a combine invite, which just about everyone thought he should have. They all go to his pro day, and that's why all 32 teams were on hand at James Madison today, and that's a significant number. And Moreland really didn't disappoint. He hit 40 inches on the vertical jump. His broad jump was 10 feet 7 inches. He timed between 4.38 to 4.44 seconds in the 40. His short shuttle time was 4.02 seconds. His three-cone time was 6.85 seconds. You know, he looked terrific in drills, and teams really like him as a dime back and special teams player.
0: Now, teams really like him as a depth piece and special teamer. Which teams specifically are looking at Moreland?
1: I'm told that Moreland met with the Tennessee Titans and Baltimore Ravens today, and he also has top 30 official visits with both of those franchises. Over the next month, he'll be making official visits to see the New York Jets, the Cleveland Browns, and the Miami Dolphins.
0: Now, another guy, Tony, that you heap praise on during Shrine Game practices was offensive lineman Josh Miles out of Morgan State. His pro day, like Moreland, was also on Tuesday. What were the results for Miles?
1: Yeah, Miles only did the bench press in the 40. He stood on the rest of his combine numbers. Now, he completed 18 reps on the bench press, which is not a great number. But remember, his arms measured 35 and 5 eighths inches at the combine. So he's got to move that weight a long distance. He did time the 40 between uh, 5.17 and 5.18 seconds, which is much better than the 5.32 seconds he ran
0: at the combine. Now, Miles has been used all over the offensive line through his career. He was also used there on the all-star circuit. Where do teams project him at the next level?
1: You know, right now, they don't know, but that's a good thing. Teams believe he can play either left or right tackle, or they can kick him inside the guard. So presently, they see him as a late-round selection and the sixth man on the depth chart who can be an inexpensive utility lineman for the next level. Now,
0: does Miles have any visits or workouts coming up with NFL teams?
1: First, got to say that the New Orleans Saints and Indianapolis Coats Colts. Both had their offensive line coaches on hand for his pro day. Miles will be working out for the Houston Texans on Wednesday, the 27th. He'll be working out for the Arizona Cardinals this coming Friday, the 29th. And he has an official pre-draft visit scheduled with the New York Jets. The Baltimore Ravens are also showing a lot of
0: interest in Miles. Let's talk about one last Shrine Game stud who you raved about back in January, who had his pro day Monday. Tell me more about Cole Holcomb out of North Carolina.
1: Yeah, Holcomb was terrific. He was not invited to the combine, uh, the Indianapolis combine, but he did go to the regional combine in Kansas City, and he redid most of the testing, which he took part in two weeks ago. During the Kansas City regional combine, he hit 39.5 inches in the vertical jump. At his Pro Day this past Monday, Holcomb timed the 40 as fast as 4.45 seconds at 231 pounds. He clocked 6.77 seconds in a three cone. His short shuttle was 4.18 seconds. Now, if you watch the film, he plays to those numbers, and Holcomb looks like he's got the athleticism and instincts to be a three-down defender. I spoke with Holcomb at length after the first day of Shrine practices and came away very impressed with my talk with him. He's a sharp kid who gets right to the point, and you get what you see. He's a very honest kid. I think he's going to make some team happy as a fourth or fifth linebacker. Now, remember what we said earlier in this podcast. Teams are holding off on signing second- and third-tier free agents because they want to see if they can get equally talented yet less expensive options in the draft. Well, Holcomb is definitely one of those potential options on the final day.
0: Now, who did Holcomb meet with at his pro day and and which teams are showing interest in him?
1: The Tennessee Titans, the Dallas Cowboys, and the New York Giants all had their linebacker coaches on hand for his workout, and Holcomb also met with the Cincinnati Bengals.
0: We'll stay in the ACC for one final pro day note from Tuesday. You had a short write-up over at DraftAnalyst.com about the Duke pro day, and you mentioned that Daniel Jones looked good throwing the football. With the draft one month away, what's his outlook right now?
1: You know, there's still a lot to be played out, but people, first of all, were impressed by Jones during his pro day workout. He showed good timing as well as touch on his throws. He showed good speed on the outs and the lateral passes. Now, one league insider who was on hand for the workout spelled out two scenarios which bear watching as far as Jones is concerned. The first one has the Washington Redskins taking Daniel Jones with the 15th selection of the draft. The second one is the Giants losing out on Dwayne Haskins with the sixth pick because a team like the Oakland Raiders grabs Haskins at four. And then the Giants take Jones with the 17th selection because people really feel that Jones fits the profile of a Mara family quarterback. The Mara family obviously owns the New York Giants. Of course, in that second scenario, We're talking about the likelihood that Josh Rosen is eventually traded to the Washington Redskins.
0: And of course, there's not only the connection as far as what the Giants might look for in a quarterback, but David Cutcliffe made his name bringing Peyton Manning and Eli Manning, developing them into NFL quarterbacks. And obviously he's done much of the same with Jones at Duke. So that's another natural connection that could lead to Daniel Jones becoming a Giant on draft day as well.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that Jones showed during his pro day was good arm strength, the ability to zip passes. We already know he's an instinctual quarterback. He gets it between the ears. Does he need some work? Yeah, he's going to need some work. But let's be honest. I mean, he didn't have the best talent playing around him at Duke. You know, he didn't have the receivers that Dwayne Haskins had. He didn't have the offensive line that Kyler Murray had. He didn't have the downfield threat that Drew Locke had. And he didn't play in the open system. He played in in basically an NFL-oriented system at Duke with guys who – aren't even going to be playing at the next level. So does he need work on his game? Yes, but I'm sure the uh, the learning curve is going to be hastened because of the much better talent he's going to have blocking for him and be able to throw the ball to.
0: So we talked at length about players who have helped their draft stock during pro day workouts, and that's really the norm with how scripted the workouts tend to be, players being familiar with the environment that they're in. In general, it's usually a bad sign when a player struggles with so many positive surrounding circumstances. I mean, you see quarterbacks completing whatever 90% of their passes and none of them hit the ground as we've talked about, you know, those meaningless stats that get thrown around, you know, in prior podcasts here. But are there any players moving in the other direction as a result of some struggles at their pro day? Unfortunately,
1: yes. And the name that seems to be the forefront whenever I ask people about this is Tyree Brady, the receiver for Marshall. guy who I actually like. He he looks good on film, and and he's a tough receiver. I'm also told he's a pretty quality character person. But he didn't run the 40 at the combine, and his other marks weren't that great. 32 inches in the vertical jump, 9 feet 9 inches in the broad, 4.25 seconds in the short shuttle. I'm told his 40 times in pro day range from the high 4.6s to the mid four sevens and he really didn't look quick during position drills in january the thought process was brady could go fourth or fifth round now i'm hearing sixth or seventh round he's going to be downgraded i still think he's got the ability to play at the next level as a uh, fourth or fifth receiver and a return specialist but that 40 time at pro day is going to kill his draft stock
0: and that's all for the 50th episode of the draft Analysts, presented by believe sports podcast network do you believe if you're enjoying the show Please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. As always, check us out over at draftanalyst.com for all the latest news on the Pro Day circuit and everything else related to the NFL Draft. And for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Drapote, and thanks for tuning in and sticking with us to The Big Five Up.